All right, y'all, we're back here for another special episode of Chasing Birdies on a Monday, Labor Day, paying homage to all the military folks out there. Thank you for your service, and today's guest did just that, which we'll get into. My man. What's going on? Oh, man, Everything good your way, bud? I mean, we did, I'll tell you what, you're working hard, bud. Two episodes in four days drop, or five days drop. Good job on you, man. I'm I'm so proud of you. Yeah, bud. Thanks for waking Uh, up to do this. Um, so today's episode brought to you by Lynx Brewing. Make sure you go check them out at lynxbrewing.com. As I have been saying, there's new batches uh, of Lynx Brewing ready to ship and to be drank. Mm. Um, so, so crisp. Like, like we talked about on the last episode with Ben Carr, you know, chip it and sip it. He probably could have used that after he chipped that in, and I probably would have scalded that chip shot. So, um, <laughs> Order yourself some. I promise you it makes you chip better. So, oh, yeah. linksbrewing.com. Boom. Today's guest, dude. Huh. Incredible, man. I, I, mean, I, I love that you tell you tell military personnel, thank you for your service. And they're like, it's almost like, what do you mean thank you for your service? Like, we love this. We love doing this. We love putting our life at risk. I mean, and dude. It's, it's a mentality, dude. And I just don't have... Uh, no, it is. And to be a PJ... So Mark Brandt is today's guest, and Mark Brandt was a PJ in the military. And PJ is AKA a para rescue man. They're part of the Air Force Special Operations. And uh, basically they jump out of planes and have to swim through all kind of crazy shit and land in some weird ass places Mm -hmm. and be accountable for that. And it takes big nuts to do that. So hats off to you, Mark. And, um, and yeah. the most impressive part about that is you think about it, Bash, one mm-hmm. wrong move and you're not here. You're not here to tell this story. And uh, so you got to take every minute of every day. You know how mentally stressful that has to be? I mean, oh my think God. about that, bud. I'm I'm stressed over a three-foot putt and my man's jumping out of planes, saving people in water. And I mean, it's just like you put, you got to put life into perspective a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, he did just that. I was very impressed with this episode that we have coming to you. Um yeah, a little special drop. I, I, I mean, again, proud to be an American, man. Proud to be American. Mark, thank you for your service. I know you said thank you, but again, we can't thank you enough, my man. So real quick, I'm munching on. What are you, eat, what are you eating, bud? Bud. So Chase and Birdie's new proud partner with player brand Biltong. That's a B-I-L-T-O-N-G. Biltong is a style of jerky that originated from South Africa. And uh, player's brand Biltong is basically for golfers who want a good snack during their round. So head on over to playerbiltong.com and at the checkout aisle, which I call aisle, I've said that before, but you know what the hell I mean. Type in birdies10 and you'll get 10% off your order. Great flavors of jerky. It's great pick-me-up snack throughout the day. Take it on the course, whatever. So again, shout out player brand Biltong. You know, it's a great snack to have in your golf bag. Birdies 10 at the checkout. And, um, God, ugh, delicious. Yes, but, go over, get yourself some, type in Birdies 10, 10% off. Again, dude, it's it's so convenient. You just grab uh-huh. it, go, throw it in your golf bag. I threw a pouch in my bag. Uh, I got one in my travel bag for when I'm on the airplane. It's just easy, and it's, and it's healthy. So, uh, I like that it's not firm, dude. It's like a moist beef jerky. Mm-hmm. Anyways, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, we're beef jerky experts now. So, um, 
let's roll on over to our our boy Mark and let's talk a little bit about being a PJ. All right, boys, enjoy this one. As you all know by now, Chase and Birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and Born. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Born makes fabulous pieces that help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to chasingbirdies.com to get some custom Chase and Birdie gear from Holderness and Born. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's chasingbirdies.com and Holderness and Born at hbgolf.com. All right, everybody, we're back here for another episode of Chasing Birdies, and I'm excited about this one today, bud. This is going to be Thank a fun you. one. Yeah, we got a guy on here, and, and by the way, Mark, thank you for coming on. Mark Brandt joining us today, Air Force Special PJ, I probably screwed that up, um, no, Special Tactics Pararescue yeah. Man. Yes, yeah, and that's right. Reading about that, Mark. It's just unbelievable. I mean, it's like fearless. Um, so thank you for coming on. And yeah, first and foremost, I'm very grateful and uh, honored that you guys gave me the opportunity to come on here, um, you know, listen to the podcast and to be part of it. And some of the guests you've had on here are probably a lot cooler than I am, but I'm really, really grateful you guys gave me the chance. So, well, well first off, that. thank you for your service. Um, no. I mean, that's way cooler than anybody that we've had on, so... And I think that they would all agree with that. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you, you, I guess it would be you're in the military. You, you were in the military. I was. I'm actually um, about a month and a half, like completely out now, like totally civilian. Um, I had a little bit of, was going to do some short time in the reserves and um, kind of just at, at the point I was at, the writing was on the wall. Like that part of my life was like, you know, the, I'd written all the chapters and was ready to chase something new. So as of a month and a half ago, some change, I'm completely out of the military and um, pursuing being a professional golfer. That's incredible. So, and we'll get into that. Yeah. As, as a youngster, do, I mean, do you, you wake up and say, I want to, I mean, I don't think too many kids think they want to be in the military. I'm jumping out of planes uh, with parachute rescuing people. So tell us a little bit about how you got into that realm of work. I mean, I, you know, I guess as a kid, you always play the video games, you see the, see the movies and, uh, you know, things like that. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. Um, you know, and, and you kind of find yourself in a point where you realize like, okay, I can actually try and do this. And that was a big thing for me. You know, I was involved in, in a lot of sports growing up and played golf, golf and baseball were the two big ones. I ended up playing golf at uh, Murray State University, um, in Kentucky and, oh, wow. uh, on their team and you know i always still had that little thing and i was like oh that's really cool and, and and something to be kind of to be noted was i actually between that and going there i, I looked at and actually went to and visited and got uh, an offer to go to west point to play to play golf and possibly baseball billy ray clevenger pardon me do you remember the coach's name i think I, I, you know what I, that actually does sound familiar it's billy been, ray clevenger he recruited me as well I had Actually, no chance, bud. Yeah, we <laughs> talked talk about it. And, and I think I was mature, you know, as far as the military is concerned, I think especially with West Point, any of the military academies like that is, I think I was mature enough to know that I was too immature to do that. 
Um, and, and I kind of thought like, you know, if you want to do, do college, do golf, enjoy it. If you want to do the military down the road, like that'll still speak to you and you'll be able to do it. Um, you'll have your degree and be able to, um, maybe have a few more options to navigate. But, um, you know, at the time I was like, let's, you know, I really wanted to play division one golf and mm-hmm. kind of do that and see it and enjoy college. And I, I, I figured I would kind of realign my priorities at the end of that. And I did still kind of had this lingering for, um, the military. I moved to Florida, uh, after, after I graduated, I lived in Daytona beach and, and, you know, it's weird. I kind of burnt, you know, a little bit burned out on golf and, and, uh, we'll get into this later, kind of how the military has changed my view on golf. But I was kind of like, well, it's, you know, it's now or never. Um, obviously this was, you know, 2000, early 2008, like the, the war on terror is turning and burning pretty yeah. hard. So, um, I was like, you know, it's now or never. I can play golf, play golf when I'm in my thirties. I can't, I can't go to a special opera operation selection course and get my ass kicked. Well, I mean, I could, but you, your, your options are, your, your likelihood is way more when you're in your, you know, your twenties mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, your thirties. So I was like, you know, it's now or never. And I did it and I'm super glad I did it. It was definitely the pinnacle of my life. And, and I, you know, people say, thank you for your service. Like, in a way, like, thanks for your tax dollars. Like, I got to do some really, really cool stuff, some really cool training, and, and know, you know, when I went to bed at night that I made an impact to try to make the world better. So, I, so many questions, but the main question is, the training to get to that point, I mean, it has to be rigorous, man. Like, they're not just letting some Joe Schmo come in and jump out of a plane. Like, what's no, that like? It's but you got to do 50 push-ups. I, I don't know if you could do it. Well, that's part of it, it, the reason why West Point was out, but you know, and, and, and especially you know, any of those special operations schools um, are, are you know pararescue indoctrination, um, buds, SEAL training, uh, the Green Beret Q course. Like they're all, everyone always does. Oh, what's harder? What's harder? Like, dude, they're all. You're all going to get destroyed there, and you just kind of got to be ready for it. And you know, I trained trained super hard. I ended up going into technically a reserve spot at Patrick Air Force Base at the 308 Rescue Squadron. And and the cool thing about that was you can be active duty, full-time PJ, do your stuff, or guys that have jobs, guys that want to do the reserve thing can kind of 50-50 um, do what they wanted. You know, at that point I was, you know, first of all, I just wanted to make it and uh, mm-hmm. make it through. And, but that was kind of cool in that, uh, you really have some flexibility, um, but they, you know, the unit there, I, I did their little tryout and they, they put you through the ringer before they send you there because they don't want to invest their time and money in somebody that's going to go to, to selection and quit the third week. Um, but yeah, you know, to get back to your question, it was, you, you, I, you know, you, you're maybe trying to prove something to yourself or whatever, someone else, I don't know what it is, but um, you just kind of go there and you're like, you know what, I'm going to see what, I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see what I can do. So, kind of this two-part question. Obviously, I don't know if the Marines are associated with any route that you went on, but secondly, no, you, I know you. They're completely okay. different. Completely different. Okay. Yeah. You going on this journey to become a PJ? What was more? Because I was reading about the kind of the criteria to to be qualified for this, and a lot of it is swimming too. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would be. And that's what I want to hear from your perspective. What was more f- intimidating to you? Was it having to jump out of a plane and not know where you're going to land or swim in unknown 
chartered waters, so to speak. I mean, that has um, to be a little unnerving. Yeah, and that, and that's kind of what uh, can kind of get you to the point because you jump out of planes after. Like, they're not going to spend the money to teach someone how to how to you know parachute at night with a bunch of gear, with a bunch of stuff, with a bunch of money put into you. They're not going to waste that money on somebody that's going to quit selection. So that's that happens kind of at the end of the. Uh, you know, once the, you know, you've kind of been weeded out, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, and the, the swimming thing, the swimming thing was big because I, I, you know, I grew up in the kind of middle of nowhere, Illinois. I was an okay swimmer, but you, you've got to, you've got to be able to swim very well. Um, you also have to be probably the biggest thing for pararescue versus any other special operations course is you have to be really comfortable being uncomfortable underwater. That's one of the big stressors they put to you at that course. It's like, yes, you have to swim. But you're also going to have to swim underwater. You're going to tie knots underwater. You're going to have to put on dive gear, on a breath hold, go down, take it off in a calm state, come back up, take one breath, come back down, put it on, you know, swim with instructors holding you on the water. And, and I think that that is such a, that to me, that's such a brilliant way to see how you can focus through feeling like you're going to die um, yeah. in a way. Um, it's, you know, you, you, you're surrounded by PJs, by the expert medics. Um, they're going to make sure that doesn't happen, obviously, but, um, you have to be ready to, to black out at the bottom of the pool to show like, Hey, I'm like, I want this, this bad. Um, and I always thought that was a cool part of selection. So as I said, I wasn't the best swimmer when I moved to Florida, I actually got a part-time job working at, um, Volusia County beach patrol as a lifeguard just to get better at swimming. Like I had to train. I had to train to pass the, the swim to do that and then got better at swimming knowing like, Hey, you know, I got, you know, I got to be better in the water to, to do this military route. And it was a fun job. It was super cool. But, um, yeah, that was, a, that was, a, you know, a big thing you can teach to yourself is what you're capable of. Um, because if you start, if you're underwater and you run out of air and you pop and you know, freak out and bolt to the surface, like that's a failure, failure to train. And you do that too much. Like, Hey, Hey bro, you're out. Um, so that was really big at learning, that the human mind, human bodies are capable a lot of times so much more than we give it credit for. I mean, wow. So, well, hats so, off. So, question: Did you ever black out at the bottom of the pool? I or did. Water. I did, and it was really interesting because, like, like I said, when you know, when when I went to the the training that we did before, I went to pararescue indoctrination. Like, that's kind of like you you had to kind of almost they want to see you do that to kind of see like, hey, is this is this dude down or not? Um, and in a way, at selection, it was it was kind of like from the old days looked at as like, a, yep, this dude's like good to go, he's committed. Um, whereas now they're like, oh, it's a, you know kind of a safety thing, um, which I guess I understand that. And I, I did it, I, I black, I, I did black out, and I did it with I did it with an instructor messing with me, like I'm un, you know I'm tying knots underwater, and this, you know comes up untied it, untied he messes with me again. I tie I tie a knot, he, he, you know I. I tie it right he undoes it, undoes it, and I tie it one more time. And I realized that the instructor ran out of air and he goes up for air. And in my brain, I started to go a little like euphoric, which you kind of do. You kind of feel like woozy and, and not even woozy. It's, it's like a really weird feeling and kind of the, the gray just starts coming in. Um, and I realized that instructor went up and came back down, finished the knot, you know, checked it. And as I went to like go to the surface, I woke up dude's you know slapping me on the side of the head on the side of the pool and that was it um and uh 
you know, get pulled out of the pool, get, get some oxygen. You get to get, you know, instructor comes over and says, Hey, are you good to go? Like, All right, get back in there, suffer some more. But, um, so <laughs> kind of did it. It wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> But. No, that dude, that's that's why, and I'm totally fascinated by this because it's it's just it's wild to me that we have men like you who who actually put themselves in a line of service and duty, and it's like so amazing to have that because literally it's life or death. I mean, you are walking a fine line. Yeah. One wrong move, you're dead. Now, on the second question I had there. Have you, when you're jumping out of a plane, I don't know what elevation you could hit on that, but if you ever go off course, if that makes sense, how are you trackable? I mean, do you have, do you have phones? Do you have GPS on you? Like if you land somewhere in the middle of nowhere, I know these are probably all like, um, you know, stationed calls, so to speak. But if that happens, what, what, how do you, how do you get rescued? Uh, you know, it, it, if, if you're just in training, um, usually in training, uh, you know, we always have, we always have devices on us. We'll have track and, and even downrange or, or in training, you got blue force track, you know, you got ways to like, Hey, this is a, you know, you see it in movies like blue force trackers, whatever. Um, you do have that. We have a way to keep accountability on, on every person that either overseas or, or in training stateside, um, exits an aircraft. Um, you have, we'll have strobes. We have strobes that we can only see with our night vision to keep track of people. Like one of our, actually, I ended up doing this one time. Um, and it, one of our standard operating procedures is like, if you see a stranded jumper or a jumper that might be injured and kind of flying off course, like if you're the closest person to them, you're going to, you're going to go fly with them, try to land where they are. And you know, that happened one time in training with someone that had a really bad, really bad opening. Um, basically the canopy didn't open and they fell a lot lower, a lot lower altitude. And what we, a lot of times what we do is we call hey ho, which is high altitude, high opening, meaning, you know, up to, you know, 20, sometimes 25,000 feet or so, um, give or take, you can exit the aircraft and you're going to use that canopies, that parachute's ability to glide with the wind. And, you know, you can miles and miles and miles, not going to get too in the weeds with it, but you can, you basically exit the canopy in, uh, you know, in a different city, a different place, different airspace and fly to your target. And that happened. Um, this person was, uh, really low and there was no way that they were going to make the intended target. So, and and that's another thing we always had was, was kind of waypoints. We had contingency plans. Um, if this happens, I'm doing this. If this happens, I'm doing this. If this, and you train those so much where 100% they become like instinct, like, okay, this happened. I'm, I'm going here. You can pull up the court. You know, we usually had little little panels that had our, our GPS, our, our devices, our compass and everything at night so we can navigate. And, and, and that happened. You know, I, I noticed that this person was was not going to make our intended uh, landing zone, flew flew over and landed with them. And, and that was kind of a that's a cool thing in the military is you always you always know you're not just going to get left. There's always going to be somebody come out like and, and that's. That's what drew me in a pararescue. Like we're willing to die to the last um, man to get somebody back when they're having the worst day of their life, and that was that was like really, really what what kind of drew me into that into that field. So, how many wow. of there are you on the plane? On the plane? Yes. It would depend on the plane. Um, there have been. Um, there's different kind of ways pararescues utilize too. There's, there's been, there's a, you know, a jump mission in Afghanistan where two dudes 
two dudes accident and uh, had, there was a pilot that punched out and they knew where the pilot was and they just had two guys jump. They maneuvered themselves as a two-man element to the pilot, treated, stabilized uh, him and moved to an extraction point. There's also, you know, we integrate and that's what I got into later in my career. We do integrate with other special operations forces, um, SEAL teams, uh, SF teams and things like that. So when you're there, you're, you're part of that group. And, and at times there can be two planes full of, you know, chalks of, of dudes ready to get on the ground and do it. So there could be 24 people, 30 people in the, in the plane. There could be four. Um, it really, really varies due to the mission and kind of how you're being utilized. That's, not, that's absolutely, it's crazy, man. Wow. No, it is. I mean, yeah, that that's fascinating to me. That whole that whole world of what you lived in for years is it's just, just different. It's different, and, it, and, and and to me, it's it's been it's been very, very, very um, odd, interesting in a way. Sometimes to have to have that chapter kind of close because you you're always going to miss it. And just as much as you know, jumping out of planes, shooting guns, doing all that, blowing stuff up, doing that, you you know, you miss the camaraderie and the brotherhood you had, which it never goes away. But you're not day in day out, um, you know, showing up with, with uh, you know, some some really high caliber people, and even then, like our support, um, in you know, not just the operators, like our support, like we we're very fortunate to always work with the the best and brightest and the people that want to go do the mission, and um, you know, are always goal goal oriented, chasing chasing to be better. So that was, you know. That's kind of what's driven me to do this. That go down this route is like I want to see what I can do down a completely different vector and see how good I can be in a in a different discipline. Did you spend any time internationally? Yeah, no. Yeah, fair amount. Yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, we went. Um, you know, I did four com four combat deployments. Um, I'd say those are the four deployments that like we actually went and did some stuff. Like a couple times, went overseas for. Um, pretty low key type of you know, like type of things, not, not, uh, you know, four months at a time, but, uh, yeah, I went to, went to a lot, a lot of places, some great, some not so great. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a fair amount of time overseas. So when you were doing this, um, are you allowed to have your cell phone on you or, or is that kind of like a tracking device for, Oh no, in certain places, certain, uh, certain situations, that's a death wish. Um, yeah. You, you know, you, you cannot, you know, it's, it's so not to get away down the weeds, but like, you know, you're right. This random phone pops onto a cell phone tower in, in this country. Like they, everybody, you know, you know it, um, That's but, insane. Uh, most, most, and honestly, like when you talk about like the real squirrely type of, uh, alone and unafraid out there stuff, like what can get you in the most trouble is having attributable stuff to yourself or, or hitting a cell phone tower that shouldn't have a phone turn on you shouldn't have in some sort of location services. So we were very, very, we got training in it. Um, wow. so you just don't have some, some idiot turning on a, uh, fi hotspot in the middle of nowhere. But, uh, you, you know, you have to be pretty disciplined with it. And, you know, when we went and did missions, nobody's, nobody's taking their phone out there and, and, and getting, you know, getting selfies on target. Like we would take phones, we would take phones that were made for us or make, you know, they call them ATAC. Like basically like, um, basically it's a cell phone that has a lot of the information and stuff you need. We'd take that with us. So you're, wow. and that's, that's the part that I'm, I'm catching on. It, it had to be exhausting yet rewarding because you're watching every single move that you make. You make one wrong move. Yeah. That could cause harm to, you know, 
your brothers in arms and all that. Yeah, especially and especially being a medic like that's that drives you to be good at your job because at the end of the day, like, yeah, especially, you know, if you're working with the the other units, like you just want to go out there and and, uh, get your gun on, smash, do some cool stuff like not have to treat an American that's that's now in your hands or anyone that's in your hands. But that drove you to be good at it. Like, you know, if I'm if I'm a bad medic then I am, I'm absolutely one of the biggest liabilities, um, that I could be when people are going to trust me to do yep. it. That, that really drives you to be, um, it's the same thing with, you know, with golf, you know, guys that play professional golf, like you have to be, you know, you can't, you can't just haphazardly go about it and say, oh, this is probably good enough. Um, you have to, you know, if you're doing stuff like that, you have to be pretty locked on. Well, that's a great segue because, you know, the whole, purpose of chasing birdies is we are all chasing birdies in life mm-hmm. and and obviously you've chased many birdies in life but the common denominator between you mark and jonathan and i is not jumping out of planes or the amount of push-ups we could do in a minute certainly for pep's sake but it's getting out on that golf course and enjoying that <laughs> enjoying the same camaraderie over and over again yeah. and um and that's what it's about so Let's talk a little bit here now about the great game of golf. Well, I have a question right off the bat. Is you played golf mm-hmm. at Murray State, and mm-hmm. um, I played just down the road from you guys at Marshall University. Oh, so okay. what years were you at Murray State? Uh, there, two thousand five to eight. Yeah. So. Yeah, so yeah. we I was 04 to 08. I look like I was 1996 to 2000, but I was <laughs> 04 to 08. Um, uh, don't, the beach But, yeah, we had the Marshall Invitation always at Guyane Country Club. You guys always played in it, so I'm sure we crossed paths, which, again, that's the crazy thing about golf. We've probably seen it, each it, other before. It's the same thing as the military, too. Like, you, you, have, you know, I've got army, people, army, navy, marines, whatever, that I know, and then you'll see them you see him down the road three, four years. Like I may have just spent a month with this person or a week with this person or a couple days with this person. And then lo and behold, I would see him again two years later in a completely different country. And, uh, yeah, same as golf. Like you, you, you know, a lot of, a lot of paths can, can cross. Like it's very interesting. Um, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends and a corn fairy tour player named Nick Lindheim, his, his wife was living with one of my best friends, who was a pro surfer, but also big in the golf. They got married, and then his brother-in-law was a Navy dude, and he and I met, deployed, and spent some time deployed together. And it's crazy. It was like, wait, you guys, you know, you guys met in 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 the, in the country X, and uh, yeah, yeah, I know him. And it's just very weird how 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 uh, how small the world is, and the, yep. the circles of connection can be. So, so when when you're Again, this is uh, this is tying a, a golf question into the military. But when you're in the military, do you ever think to yourself like, "What in the hell am I doing?" I I was playing college golf. I had the the life, and at this point, I could die any minute. Yeah, no, I, I just I really liked you know I didn't like I loved what I did. It was cool. Um, I it, to me it was it was very, very fulfilling. And it's still, you know, even looking back, it's still fulfilling, you know, knowing what mm-hmm. I did, you know, I've kind of moved into something different. Um, you know, and, and here's the thing, like guys that leave the military, guys, girls, whatever, both, um, 
and especially doing what we did, what I did, you have FOMO. You, you know, like that's a big thing. Like, I'm out now, and I know my bud, my buddies are all going and doing cool stuff and getting getting cool missions and doing this. Like, oh, what are they doing? Whatever. But um, I think sometimes then that's you know sometimes you gotta realize like, hey, this is my life. This is my box. Like, how can I make mm-hmm. it better? You know, I never had that like, what am I doing type of moment. I did maybe reach a point where. And this was a big thing was I, I reached a point, especially, you know, my last place I was, you know, stationed was like, I've kind of done everything that I wanted to do. And I felt very fortunate that, you know, I had some random injuries and, you know, some, you know, some things that aren't going to go away physically for me, but I could still, still play golf for the most part. Like it could still, you know, um, you know, um, in one piece, if you will. And I was like, you know, it's been a good run. I've also put my family through a lot of missed Christmases. Like they both, they know what I'm doing. Um, and, and it's gotta be stressful for my parents. So it's kind of at a point, like, you know, they're not going to be here forever either. And I wanted to be able to spend mm-hmm. some time with them and not be gone 280 days at a time a year. And, and I kind of didn't reach the point where I was like, what am I doing? But I was just right at the point, like, I feel comfortable with what I've given. I feel comfortable with, with, with where I'm at. And I would like mm-hmm. to, I like to maybe segue into chasing some different goals and golf for me was something that I kind of just quit cold Turkey in a way. Um, I played in college and, and, and getting into more of the discipline of golf. Like I, I was totally undisciplined. I had absolutely no plan. Um, it was driver all the time. It was fired every flag. Um, yeah. And it was invincible, it, right? It was, yeah. And, and now just dumb. Um, in a way, <laughs> but, uh, like it's it just no strategy. And, and it's very interesting because I quit golf like cold Turkey for 10 years. I didn't play. I didn't even really watch it. Like sometimes I was deployed and I was deployed once and the master was on and kind of got into watching it. But I, I mean, I just, I pretty much, I didn't play at all where I lived. Um, when I lived in, in, uh, at close to Fort Bragg, I lived in Southern Pines. There was a field right oh, by yeah. my house, and I would I would take my dog down there, and I got into going and hitting some shots every now and then, just to mess around, just to do it. But for I would say for nine years, nine and a half years, ten years, I never touched the club completely. Like that chat that was turned off, and um, it was very very interesting to to get back into it and see how much golf has changed. And and now people people will sell you strategies like teach you right. how to do strategies and that was a bit you know that was looking back at golf i was like dude i had no we would never go on target we would never go on a mission we would never go on a jump without plan a to z knowing exactly what we're doing disciplined work disciplined priorities um measurable you know measurable goals or not you know if you don't have a goal and you don't have any way to measure it how do you know if you're succeeding and failing and I was like, you know, mm-hmm. if I applied, applied that to golf, like, let's see how far I could go. And I started hitting some shots. I'm like, no, I still, you know, I'm not, not, still got it. I'm not laying the sod over it. And I would go chip it. <laughs> I started chipping and putt, putting. And I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, I can still do that. That's always been something I've been really good at. Kind of scrapped it around and could have a good short game. Um, and then I kind of was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not too bad at this. Let's still, let's, let's keep going. And one thing led to another. And here we are. So I, I do have to ask, uh, you mentioned Southern Pines, Fort Bragg. It's uh, Southern Pines, Pinehurst is very near and dear to my heart. Um, my parents have a place over at Pine Needles on the third key oh, box. Goodness. So, um, you know, when you mentioned that, it automatically 
brings memories back, you know, when you're sitting in the house and Fort Bragg's practicing. It's, it's, I mean, we're about 30 minutes away from Fort Bragg and our house is shaking. Yeah. Um, artillery rounds or helos flying over all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Different spot. So, if there so was you were living in Southern Pines? Yes. Yeah. So what golf course were you going to to hit those shots? Uh, I would go to, I lived really, I actually lived like right on the Aberdeen Southern Pines line. I would go out to Legacy Golf Links. Yeah. Uh, they're, and they're they're very pro military too, and they're pro. Sean was super cool when I I kind of got more into it. Um, we'll come out there and practice and play. Um, that it's a really good place there, and you always have Pinehurst. Pinehurst is just this exceptional mecca of golf, where you know you've got a putting green out there that's bigger than most places to clubhouses, um, mm-hmm. places to go chip and putt. I mean, it is the home of golf, and it was very weird for me because I lived there for four years before I even did much of that. You know, I drive by it. I know there's a golf course. Um, and as I said, like that part of me was kind of like turned off um, mm-hmm. in a way. And it slowly got back got back to where we are now. Yeah. So um, it, legacy, I say the legacy has probably the best finishing hole in all of Pinehurst. Oh, I yeah. Believe. That's a great finishing hole. There's so, I mean, many, good, there's so many good courses there. Um, and yeah, that, that, that golf that course cool. is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I went there a lot as a child and um, now we play a lot at mid pines, pine needles. Now pine needles and mid pines purchased Southern pines golf club, which dude. So I I played that course and I played that course and got my view of that course. And I noticed that they were clearing out some trees and, and you know, basically like, Oh, they're doing some work. And a friend of mine played there and posted the first hole. And now they've got, it's, you know, insane. it's, oh, it's wild. They got, you now clear those trees out and it's got that Pinehursty vibe, um, yep. or that Sandhills vibe, if you will. And, you know, right. It, it, I've loved, you know, when I'm, go- I go up there a fair amount. I've still got a ton of friends, teammates, um, up there that I, I try to get up there every now and then when I can. And I definitely want to go play that golf course and see how much it changed. Cause it was already a really cool course. Um, always in good shape and, and, and really they fun. brought it back so much, man. It's going to be, I think another two to three years when it can actually mature and, and kind yeah. of settle in, it's going to be dynamite. Yeah. So now that you're back into the game of golf, tell us a little bit about your you, you turn pro, right? Yeah, turn, um, you know, play some, you play professional tournaments and say you're a pro, you're a pro. It's pretty funny, actually. I had, like I said, I'd been back into it. This was a year and a half ago, whatever. Um, I just started playing again and hitting balls and, and actually like, hey, I'm going to practice with a purpose. Um, and I came down for a uh, for the holidays. And I don't know if you guys know about the like the Moonlight Tour. The, that's in in Florida. It's a mm-hmm. Orlando-based mini tour, development tour. The place a ton of like ton of events, and especially in the winters, you get some you know all the time. But especially in the winters, you have guys down from Q School. It's like very good um, competition grounds um, to come play. And there was an event at West Orange Golf Club, and I was like, and they're 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 pretty low entry fees. They have some two day tournaments that are a little more, um, but it's like you know 100, 120 bucks to play. And you kind of just go out and, 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 and see what you can do. It's, it's uh, usually a one-day tournament. And I signed up for this tournament. Like, I played the course a long time ago. I was like, you know, let's just see what happens. And the first hole is like 525 yard or so, par five. And I hadn't hit a shot in competition in over a decade. Yeah, over a decade. Hit my drive out there. And I have 227 into this hole and the winds sorry the sun's in our face can't really see so i'm like well let's just hit a hybrid up there and get close hit this hybrid hit it really good 
kind of thought it, it was in a, in a bunker that kind of guarded the, guarded the pin. Hit it good, you know, whatever. Um, shocked to myself that I've now hit two good shots um, in a row. Uh, and walking up there, I'm playing with a dude named Chris Johnson, and I don't see my ball. And I thought it was in, the bunk, in, in this bunker. Um, look, it's not the bunker. I start to walk around the back of the green. I'm like, no, oh, I don't see it. And Chris goes like, hey, man, there's a, there's a pitch mark right by the hole. And I hold it. I had an albatross the first hole. The first hole I played in ten, in, in ten years, canned it. Negative three, you know, three under. Three under. One. And uh, I was just like, you know, it was very wild. Like there were these times where I was like, what am I? You talk about like, what am I doing out here? I was like, you know, let's see. And that was like things. There, there's not that much happenstance in, in the world. Like most of the stuff that we do, day in day out, like if it, it's our fault, <laughs> good or bad. And I was mm-hmm. just like, you know what? Like, yeah, let's keep going. And I shot the best, like, I think I shot 73, John, didn't quite close the round out. And that's, that's where I'm at now is you've got to shake off rust from being, you know, there's, there's playing golf with your buddies. There's playing golf in money games. There's playing tournaments. Mm-hmm. They're all different. You've really got to train your, same as the military, you've got to train your mind to handle the situation, the exteriors, the, or, sorry, the externals more than just hitting the, the shot in golf and kind of handling your, your emotions and, and your expectations and things. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Played some Florida Pro Tour events in the winter. I I, I wanted to play it to get the experience, um, mm-hmm. and you know, shot a lot of a lot of seventy fours, seventy three, seventy fives. Just it, you know, try. You can't go out there and work on your work on your game. Um, and I'm just now at a point where I can kind of go out and feel like I can keep it together. Actually, and grind a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And and I had some stuff that you know, though it was very weird after even that long of a time. I still had the, some of the same tendencies and motor patterns and things in my golf swing materialize and, you know, got with good coaching and it's, you know, it's, it's taken me a while. I'm finally getting to the point where I'm, you know, club, controlling the club face and actually hitting, hitting shots that are predictable. At that point, I wasn't mm-hmm. hitting shots. Or I didn't, who knows where it's going to go. Um, but yes. uh, yeah, now I'm professional and going to play a bunch of tournaments leading up to Latin America or PJ Tour Latin America Q School. So you're gonna try the, the Latin America Q school? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we had yeah. a good friend yeah. of ours actually from from Pinehurst, uh, Michael McGowan. His family owns Pine Needles Mid Pines. Oh, he I played in the Latin American Tour for a couple years, and and he was successful. And and I think last year he was on the Corn Ferry for nice. um, a little bit. So he said it's wild though. I mean that it's it's a wild tour. Um, well, and that's something that, you know, Nick, Nick told me that that was a good place to go. Jared, I played, I was on, uh, Jared Wolf was on my team in college okay. and, uh, you know, Jared and Nick both, you know, got wins out there and leveraged success on that tour to get to the corn Ferry tour and the PGA tour. Um, and, and you talk about it being wild. I think that's, that's something that, that's okay for me. Like I, I'm very comfortable being overseas, you know, all those countries like, you know, for the most part don't hate us. Um, so I'd be very comfortable going over to, um, those places and, 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 you know, be able to integrate in that, that, that environment and go play and not be weirded out by being overseas. So you had two teammates on the Latin America tour that, um, they each won and they kind of gave you the advice to get to, to go to that tour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jared, you know, played, playing college with Jared, Jared won out there. Um, Nick, Nick went out there a couple of times. They both won a couple of times. And that's, you know, the, that's the best place to get some status. 
which is huge. Um, mm -hmm. And to basically work your way up to playing on, on the Corn Ferry Tour, you know, they, you can, you, the Monday qualifier route is, is good. I think that it's good to play that. But um, from everyone that's talked to me, like do Q school, get your game ready for Q school and, and do that. And where my game's at right now, uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think I could have, I, I could show up with my B game and, and, and get through definitely not second stage. Um, but, I, you know, I've looked at the scores and I played mission in a fair amount. Um, that's where the, the qualifier is. You know, and I know that as long as I manage myself, like I can go out there and play well enough to at least get some status and get a start, um, get a place to start. Um, what, what, when is that round, Mark? Uh, it's four rounds, and it's in it's in November. It's in the middle, okay. the middle of November. So it's kind of, you know, it's not well, you, right around the corner, but it's coming up. Got yeah, a couple months to get the game and honed in. Yeah. But, you know, to your point, we've said this before on this podcast, and it's funny because for a lot of amateur golfers who haven't played tournament golf, they don't realize the difference between tournament golf and just going around playing with your buddies on a Saturday. And wow, man. And, and once that pencil it's, oh, it's so different, and it, but it's so addicting. Like I, It's the same thing, man. Like I love it. I love it. I love it. So I, I give you mad props for chasing that dream and being like, this is what I'm going to do, especially like you said, you quit golf cold turkey. You hadn't touched a club in a decade, eight years, and, and here you are right now back at it again trying to chase that dream, and that's commendable. Um, yeah, and that's what makes golf so beautiful. Yeah, you can always come back and play it forever, and, and, and always always come back to it. And um, you know, it's it's very interesting to play golf now with the lens that I have on the views of things. You know, and you know the pressure. Yeah. I, I will say that that golf, like, still in a way, like satiates that adrenaline, that pressure a little bit. You know, it's just different, obviously. But um, it it kind of like satiates that pressure you felt stepping off a helicopter in bad guy country. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and doing, you know, it's obviously different, but, um, in, in a way it's, you're always kind of battling yourself, if you will. Um, and it was pretty interesting is, uh, like I said, I, I kind of got back into it and started off like, you know, playing, pl probably playing better than I did in those, some of those events I played, because at the time I started, I didn't have these expectations of myself to, to always be putting against how you play and, you know, after taking that so much time off, like, yeah, you snipe one in the woods, like, well, yeah, I'm rusty. You're going to hit some weird ones. And then you play some more. And it's crazy how the mind kind of got back into how I was in college. Like, you know, you're 200 through four and you hit a bad, bad drive, go off, roll, roll off some bogeys. And now you're back to, to grinding. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, almost like kind of came back full circle now where my, my game is a ton better than it was. And now I've got a little bit more clarity and like, you know, especially being around now, being around some world-class players um, day in, day out, and seeing that, yeah, they hit some good shots, and, yeah, they hit some bad ones. It, it kind of really makes you realize, like, you're not always going to be at your best every day, but you can be your best at trying to get the most out of yourself. Yeah, their recovery is where it's night yeah. and day, right? Yeah, they hit bad shots, but they can recover and yeah, get up and down from a garbage can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've always played like that. I've always hit it a little squirrely and scrapped it around, but grew up at a place where you had to have a good, you had to be a really good wedge player, a good short game. And uh, so that's, you know, that's always kind of been part of my DNA. It's like, okay, how do I hit this shot? Yeah. And, and go from I mean, there. you think about it very rarely. How many PGA Tour players, when you're watching them on TV, how many of them do you see make double bogeys? 
Very every very, once. Or, yeah, they have what? to. Yeah, very very rarely. Very yeah. very few. I don't know if you uh, if y'all watched the BMW at all, but last hole Cantlay had a one shot lead, and he blew his drive into the bunker, right? And he's got a hook stance, and he's got a, like a back right pin, and he's aimed left. He's gonna hit this cut, and you know we're thinking, is he trying to put it in the left bunker? And it's like, no, he's gonna hit this cut. He's gonna get it on the green. You just know that's what they're thinking, and they can execute so well. And he hits that cut out of that bunker. Well, you you watched the U.S. Amateur. Mm-hmm. Um, that Ben Carr was three down with like five or six to play. They're on a par five. Sam Bennett hits the second shot out of bounds on a par five. And then Carr takes three wood out and hits his out of bounds. Like, bud, you could chunk five iron down the right-hand side. You, You know what I mean? Like things like that are the mistakes why the PGA Tour players are so good. Exactly. A PGA Tour player would never have hit three wood there knowing that his opponent was out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, risk, 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 reward. And that's being young, right? I mean, he's, I mean, Ben Carr is what, 21 years old, and he's going to learn. He's going to know next time, you know what? I'm not going to hit three wood. I'm going to lay up. A friend of mine played, I think, Q School, the prequel for Q School or first stage. I don't know which. I think it was prequel. With a with a guy that had played, and he knew he knew that he had to make I think bogey or better on the hole to get through. He knew it, and this dude hit seven iron, seven iron on on a on a short par short par four. Got it up there and, and got it around. Like you know, it takes some, it takes some discipline to be able to like you know guys are pulling drive three wood. Be like, nope, seven iron, seven iron. And uh, that's yeah. why for you now, your bad rounds of golf after what you've put yourself through over the last, you know, seven, eight years, bad rounds of golf aren't that bad, right? No, and, and it, you really, and you have to really be careful not to let it like weigh on your day or weigh on your mm-hmm. ego or whatever it is. Like, oh, I played bad. I hate, you know, I'm going to come home and kick my dog. Like, no, it's, it's golf. Like you're playing, you know, I think Scott Fawcett was talking about how, you know, it's the one sport that's played on the biggest surface with the biggest amount of variables and all this thing, like you're, you're going to have some weird stuff happen and just kind of, you know, just kind of deal with it and, and, and go from there. I'm going to ask you a question right now. What is golf? What does golf mean to you? Mm. Uh, I think just as much as I said, like selection, going through selection, it's like a test of yourself. Like, what do you, you know, chips are down or it's tough. Like, what are you going to do? Golf's, golf's very, very reminiscent to me of that or similar, similar than that to me, because, you know, you're always showing up and you've got the ability to go out there and torch it. You really have the ability to play for the most part, at least mentally mistake free. Can you see if you can do it? Can you, can Mm -hmm. you ride this train and keep it, keep the, keep the bowling ball between the, between the gutters in a while. And I just, I really love um, that golf is, is also a challenge um, to yourself because you play bad. It's your fault. You play good. It's your fault. Um, you can't, you know, there's no like, you know, this guy missed a pass in the third quarter and that's why we lost. So it's, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's, and you're, you're always fighting your own ego. You're fighting your nerves. And, and for me, you know, I've, I've gotten better at, I was a nervous little, I was a nervous rack in college. Um, and, and like I said, you know, it didn't matter where I was. If I had a bad hole, I'd, you know, have, have its meltdown tanked around. Um, and, and now I've got five footers and I'm like, no one's shooting at me. I can step anywhere and the ground is not going to explode. Like I should be really happy to be here. 
And that's kind of what I'm trying to apply to, to, uh, to not even golf. Just I think we should all, we should all take that advice, man. Mm -hmm. Cause there's a lot worse things in life yeah. than playing golf with your buddies on a beautiful, safe green ground. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. And, and again, and, yeah. and, and we need to thank you people like you that, and I know that, you know, a lot, a lot of the military guys don't like this kind of stuff just because it's this, they want to do this, but, um, without people like you, we're, we're not, we're not living that way. So Appreciate hats it. We off. Have, we have it really good in America and, and hopefully we can find a way to keep it that way. That's right, man. Yep. We've never had anyone tell us we can't go play golf. Yeah, exactly. And amen to that. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to be stoked to watch you on this endeavor because I think it's really neat, especially with your background, going from what you did and now on this path of, of trying to play professionally. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, and more people should do things that they feel in their heart, no matter what. You should always do that. Yeah, you've only got so much time. You might as mm -hmm. well enjoy So you life. play a lot in Florida. Where else? Where else do you play at all, Mark? I mean, do you ever get back to Illinois? I mean, Chicago uh, has great courses. I was in Southern Illinois. Um, it was almost like a completely different state than Chicago. I'll, I'll go up there sometimes for family stuff to see, you know, to see my parents. Um, but I'm not up there that often. Um, as far as my, my, my schedule, I'm going to play some, you know, obviously those Moonlight Tour events. Um, I'm going to play mm -hmm. some of those uh, to get ready, play some G Pro events, I think, down the road. But, uh, you know, as of now, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of tournaments in Florida over the winter. Um, but um, more, I, I usually just play around in Florida. I'll go up to North Carolina every now and then. Um, there's some many tours up there. But. Do they still have the Tar Heel Tour in North Carolina? They do. I don't, I don't know if they call it the Tar Heel Tour anymore. There's the Carolina Mountain Tour. I've never played anything okay. on that. There's the Coastal Layer Players Tour. They play some, some really good courses. Um, and I don't know about the, the Tar Heel, the Tar Heel tour. I'm not sure. And it's, you know, I got out of, when I, when I left college golf, it was pretty much the Hooters tour and that was it. Um, whereas now there's a lot more mini tours, and a lot more places to play and, and, um, and kind of go somewhere. Like I said, golf's really changed. Hooters has really good chicken wings. So mm -hmm. cold beer. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got to get, we got to link it up on the course, Mark. Yeah, I'd be honored sure. to play with you. Um, yeah, so you guys, if you take a take a Florida trip, um, let me know, and we can we can get out to some places and uh, a lot of good a lot of good courses around here, or even link up back in back in North Carolina, back at the yeah. uh, the home of golf in a way. In Let's America. do it. That's actually probably going to be our best bet. Yeah, because um, <laughs> we get down, we get down there quite a bit, and cool. it's always a great time. So we'll have to keep you posted on that. But I think we're going to roll this bad boy into our last segment of the show, Mark, which is our tap-in segment. And uh, my man Peppy here is going to ask you some questions that demand your quick-witted response. Oh, All right, Mark. All right. Lowest round and where? Lowest round in a tournament or just playing around? In general. It could be a tournament or playing around. Lowest round was at Flora Country Club, where I grew up. Nine-hole course with like greens the size of pool table super fast and I shot 60 and it was a par 70 um lowest Let's round of tournament lowest round of tournament is 61 there you go Damn. let's go that's chasing but you shot 61 in the front nine last week no that's month but all right most memorable parachute jump <sighs> well 
Well, I had one that almost went really, really bad. That one's still etched in my memory. But um, probably most memorable parachute jump probably was when I was going through selection to go to a, a, a unit I ended up at, at uh, in North Carolina. That final jump, like knowing like, hey, you're good um, and you've passed all the jumps. Um, was, it's nice to have that behind you and, and, and kind of check that box. So that was fun. We did do a jump. We did do a jump on the beach um, at Sebastian in Florida when I was at Patrick at the, the Florida team. That was pretty cool. You know, extend aircraft and like you come in and basically land going down the beach. That was a pretty memorable one. So one of, cool. those, one of those besides the bad one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't need to talk about those. No. All right. The go-to music on the golf course. I get it. You know what? I get into this with, with everybody. I listen to everything. I can listen to country. I'll listen to rap. I'll listen to rock. My, my, one of my buddies is a, a, a South African dude that um, is big into this DJ called Black Coffee. Um, and he's been, I, I hadn't either. And it's, you know, it's just a really good DJ and it's really good golf music. Like you can't, you're not going to be playing and having Pantera playing in the background um right. it's just not good for your brain so uh, i would say that you know kind of that how kind of a little housey vibe um with the that that music's pretty good something that's chill reggae kind of reggae you know, i like reggae too so let me interject real quick if you get on soundcloud you look up big booty mix it's all <laughs> bpm mixes of like song like it it's it's basically house music i mean but they okay. mix them up plays for like three hours perfect for the course so check it out on sound big booty mix yeah it had nothing to do with big booties or rap or anything like that ryan's the one who put that out there Um, okay (laughs) number one goal in life not be 60 70 80 years old and 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 look back and regret not following your drive Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a good one yeah and, and that's back to, you know, chasing. We're all chasing something in life. doesn't matter yeah. if you play golf or not. Everyone's right. chasing a birdie yeah. in life, and uh, we all need to do more of it. Yeah. Um, so, and Mark, we can't thank you enough for coming on, telling some stories. We're going to play golf in Pinehurst. We will tell you. It's yeah, going to be March. So we'll tell you the dates of March. Ryan, get okay. it. You, you have his information. Yeah. We'll, we'll reach yeah, out to him and, and peg it up. Cool. We'll get a game in, man. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. No, man, but like he said, thanks. Thank you um, so much for coming on here, chasing birdies. I think this is great having you on. I uh, really look forward to meeting and um, watching you on your endeavor right now, chasing those dreams. Yeah. Once again, thanks again for having me. This is this was really really cool to be uh, allowed to come out here and talk to you guys. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome, my man. Thank you. My own oh my wildness. If that, if that doesn't make you think about life a little bit and how lucky we are to live in this country, nothing will. People like that protect our country, and and it's truly incredible. I mean, Mark, again, hats off to you. I know I said it in the intro, but I will say it again. Hats off. Everything about you. You're an American um, hero, and. Um, and you're a golfer and good luck and you're a golfer and you're a good golfer and and we want to wish you luck on your chasing of birdies in life and on the golf course mm-hmm. amen brother you know right now i'm gonna go on a little ramp okay? oh boy 
I'm, I'm oh starting boy. to get sick of the live tour. And, and you know, this past weekend, the event in Boston, we had Cam Smith, Harold Varner, Mark Leishman, Joaquin Neiman, and Cameron Tringali. Go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so sick of this live stuff. I'm starting to get so sick of it. And like somebody like Cameron Tringali, yeah, bud, you, you should probably go. You haven't made a cut. You're not. You're not very good. Well, I mean, um, he wears Nautica. Who the fuck wears Nautica? So the others, what are you doing? Like Harold Varner, hey, bud. Uh, you know, two years ago, you're crying that you're making cuts and playing the PGA Tour and buying your your mom John Deere tractors that she could never afford. Now all of a sudden, the live tour is the answer. Let me tell you something. When the, the PGA Tour and all these majors tell these players you can't play in the major championships, you, you, you made a mistake, and you're not going to be allowed back in. So, But I don't know if they... Uh, dude, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Like, Cam, well, Cam Smith, you aren't even that one hurts. at the peak of your game yet. That one you're, hurts. You're, you're just getting there. That's my what? boy. He, he gasped for me. Well, here's the thing, dude. Like, Butch Harmon said recently in an interview, he's like, say it's for the money there's no doubt about it this is life-changing generational wealth money period there's no doubt about it but when that thing crumbles and these tournaments are so stupid and no one's watching it it's like go to what, YouTube. Are you pl- what are you playing but i'm not going to youtube you think i'm gonna go to youtube and watch if you're going to youtube to watch a golf tournament there's something wrong with the golf tournament period uh now granted yeah maybe a tv deal will come into place i don't know but the point being is i'm not watching it's dumb there's no competition i mean who wants to watch a team play each other in some weird ass event it's dumb it's dumb but in reality competition's but- good competition's great this whole idea of this notion of live toward all they have is money is stupid we're not watching it but Period. all they do i mean you think about it bud yeah you got your 200 million bucks okay Great for you. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Okay. Like Tiger said, what are you waking up for and practicing for? You're Nothing. not going to practice. That's why the golf has not been very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my man Mickelson, he's about combined 57 over par, and they paid him how much money to do this. That's mm-hmm. a great RLI. The only reason they did that is because he had relationships on the PGA Tour, which blew up in his face with all the big names. And... Um, I, again, I, I'm starting to become more and more of a fan of Rory McIlroy for sticking his neck out there and um, you know standing up for the PGA Tour and, and what he in what he believes in. So mm-hmm. that was my little rant, boys. Mm-hmm. Disappointed in those guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cameron Tringali, hopefully he gets some nicer clothes, but with that money, eh? Yeah, we're not. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you where you can get some nice clothes, boys. <laughs> up Nemecolon. They have their new stores there. They are incredible. We're getting closer and closer to October, which is my favorite month at mm-hmm. Nemecolon. The fall leaves, pumpkin spice latte on the back patio. And I'm buying a little PSL on the back of the boys. <laughs> oh, Make shit. sure you go to nemecolon.com. <laughs> check them out. Make a reservation for September, October, and December. We're also getting to the elf tuck in. I love the elf comes to the room, tucks me in, reads me a little story. My kids get excited too when they see it. Um, so, nemacolon.com. And here's my question to you about Nemacolon, bud. Mm. Who's to say that Nemacolon doesn't throw their... And I'm not saying they are, but who's to say they don't throw their hat in the ring for a Live Tour event? Why not? I mean, and you Seems can't like blame these... Ev- yeah. Seems like the Live Tour is going everywhere that the PGA Tour was. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't blame them. Hey, who are we to say, judge, whatever? But yeah, I mean, it's 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 still stupid. But again, I don't have a hundred million bucks like these cats do just for signing a piece of paper. So. Uh, at any rate, great episode today, and our next episode drop is phenomenal with Roger Steele. Look him up on Instagram. Uh, Roger Steele is a phenomenal golf influencer tied in with Nike, tied in with Callaway, so we cannot wait to bring y'all this one on our next drop. And uh, make sure you head on over to chasingbirdies.com. Check out some gear we have, new hats dropping, got some great beanies for colder weather. And on Instagram, chasing underscore birdies. Give us a like, give us a share, touch us, whatever you want to do. My man, I just took your lines because you went on this rant. I'm trying to cool you down a little bit, but are we all good here? We're all good, bud. Sorry, got both it, guys. That's all right, boys. I don't judge you. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for listening. You've been watching a fucking golf tournament. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of Chasing Birdies. Thank you to Evo and your team over at Simpler Media for putting us together. And Rachel London, Jacqueline DiPaterio for all your social media help. You girls rock. And uh, we'll see y'all on the next one.